Would you join with me in prayer again? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that whether we have a lovely day today or whether we're undergoing persecution or whether we are struggling physically or emotionally or everything seems to be going rosy, help us remember this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. So I pray, Lord, fill us with your spirit, open your word up to us and open us up to your word. Strengthen us and focus us in Jesus' name. Amen. I like me some history. So on this day in 1605, nothing happened. <laughs> and that should never be forgot that nothing happened. Because stuff was supposed to happen. Stuff was supposed to happen in 1605 in England. But on November 5th, it didn't happen. See, there was a radical Catholic terrorist that was... Because when we think of radical religious terrorists nowadays, we tend to picture Muslim terrorists, right? Extremists. Not that Muslims are the problem. It's the wackadoodle Muslims that are the problem, right? Well, in 1605 in England, it's the wackadoodle Roman Catholics. In Northern Ireland, it often still is. But it's not Roman Catholics. It's the wackadoodle Roman Catholics. And there was a wackadoodle Roman Catholic terrorist plot to blow up Parliament so that they could kill King James of King James Version fame, right? The guy that said, ooh, I really like the Bible. Ooh, I'm really churchy, but I'm Protestant. And they thought, if we could just blow up Parliament when King James is in there, I don't care who else we kill. As long as we kill King James and get a Catholic on the throne, life will be good. Because isn't that the way it works? If you could just get your person in charge, life is rosy, right? Anyway, doesn't matter who we kill. So they packed a lot of gunpowder down there. But on November 5th, November 5th, the British government uncovered the plot, found the gunpowder, and arrested Guy Fawkes, who was one of the radical, wackadoodle Roman Catholic terrorists. After a couple of days of interrogating and torturing him, they eventually found him guilty, and they sentenced him to be hanged, drawn, and quartered, at which point he will eventually be dead. It's supposed to last for a while, but his neck snapped as soon as they hanged him, and everybody was extremely disappointed. So they burned him in effigy because they couldn't do all the stuff they were wanting to do to his body, so they burned him in effigy, and for 400-some years, England's been doing it every year on November 5th celebrating the fact that nothing happened instead of their monarch getting murdered by wackadoodle terrorist. I think that's profound. I think it's important. I think it's good. Of course, true to form, as a species, after 400 years of doing it, you sometimes forget why you're doing it. Nowadays, half the time, two-thirds of the time, they don't even refer to it as Guy Fawkes Day. It's bonfire night. It's like, oh, wait, you're celebrating setting things on fire on November 5th. Yeah. Do you remember why? Because it's November 5th, and that should never be forgot. There's a whole poem. In some ways, even the counterculture since 1960s, some people have even seen him as this kind of like anti-hero, because he's, he's shaking his fist at the establishment. You, go, you mean by that he's trying to murder a bunch of people? Yeah. So he's like kind of like a hero. And in America, true to form for us, 
The only thing we know about Guy Fawkes is uh, he was in a movie. No, no, he wasn't. There's was a guy in a Guy Fawkes mask. Yeah, I like that. It was a cool mask. I wore that for Halloween. Really? Next year you can go as the Unabomber, or the year after that wear a balaclava and wave, wave an AK-47 over your head. He's a terrorist who's burned in effigy every year. They're not celebrating Guy Fawkes because they like him. Yeah, I wore it because he's cool. Forget the whole point. You forget the guy himself. You forget the guy. You know, the guy. Every year, they would dress up this dummy in effigy like a guy, a guy fox. And they would always say, dress it up like a guy. And over 400 years, that word just became, you know, like a generic male. Why do you use the word guy? Because a guy Fox, you know that, right? And even in America, we forget even the whole gender thing. Y'all are guys. Hey, you guys, I'm talking about humans in general. You've forgotten the guy in Guy Fox. Maybe you don't care. Maybe you go, I don't care. So you just told me the etymology of guy. Fine, whatever. Not my country. But what about the things that do matter? What about the things that we say, you know, I think maybe we've been doing this so long, we have such familiarity that we forget what we're doing. We maybe even forget the guys themselves. I think of of Paul commanding us in Romans 12, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We go, yep, yep, we should care about each other. Is that what he said? Devote yourselves in the church to genuinely loving one another. That's a command. Do we take that as, yeah, no, be nice, that's cool. Be devoted to one another as if you were loving your literal, honest-to-goodness brother in your family. Jesus even commanded us in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, I want you, you must love one another. You must love each other like God loved you. So once you deserve it, once they deserve it, if you like them, if they do the stuff that, is that how God loves us? As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Here's a clue. You are always an ambassador for Christ, right? I'm forever praying and saying, you know, we need to act like ambassadors for Christ. Well, you are always an ambassador for Christ, aren't you? Every word that comes out of your mouth, every time you go to Walmart, you are an ambassador for Christ. And if you say, well, I didn't say anything about him. Uh Uh-huh. That's the kingdom you're showing. I put a bumper sticker on my car, and then I rammed into somebody because he cut me off on the highway. I showed him a finger I never should have. I wasn't a very good ambassador for Christ, and yet you were an ambassador for Christ. We are always an ambassador for Christ. You're always an ambassador. And Jesus says, right, they're going to know what kind of a Christian you are. They're going to know that you're a Christian if they see your love for one another. How important do we see this? In Ephesians, Paul says that, he gives us some concrete. He says, be completely humble, be gentle. That's that put up withness that we've talked about. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, surprise is up to you, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Not a unity of doctrine, not a unity of, well, I didn't hit him with a frying pan. 
a radical koinonia, this intimate connection, this family connection, this intimacy of brotherhood, this koinonia that you have with your spouse, with your children, this koinonia, that's what he says, that's what you should have with one another within Christ's body. And even that, that Christ's body thing, he gives us an analogy and explains that in detail to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, you know, the human body is, is a unit, it's one thing, though it's made up of a lot of different parts. And though all of these parts are many, they form one body. And it's the same with Christ. We're all baptized by one spirit into one body. We're all connected to one another. We're all one unit. We're one body. And the eye can't say to the hand, well, I don't really need you. Head can't say to the foot, well, I don't really need you. Everybody matters. Everybody's connected. No one is only kind of sort of sometimes connected. What do you call a body part that's only sometimes connected to the rest of the body? A hat. You're not part of the body. If you're only sort of sometimes sort of kind of connected, you're not part of the body. You're an affectation. You don't want to be that want to be that you want to be devoted and brotherly love you want to be connected not sometimes when it happens to work with my schedule i'll sometimes be oh, i know this person i mean sure i know her that's the rest of you i'm sure are fine i don't even know her name but that's okay whatever this was a nice service i'm gonna go to denny's you're one body and you're connected now obviously the hand isn't as connected it's not connected to the foot, right? Yes, it is. It's totally connected to the foot. It's just also connected to the arm. It knows the arm really well because it's close to the arm. But every part of your body is connected to every other part. Your skull to your elbows to your belly button to your toenails. Every part of you is connected. If you stub your toe, does your brain know? They're as far away from each other as you can get. If you stub your toe, does your brain say, oh, I was aware that I stubbed my toe? Absolutely. And yet, years later, the Apostle John felt compelled to write in 1 John 4, Dear friends, beloved, he says, let's love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever doesn't love doesn't know God. And he goes on about that for a while. To Christians, if you're not loving one another, I don't think you know the Lord. Whoever loves must love his brother. If you love God, you have to love your brother. And he's not talking about some kind of theological agape where you go, yes, yes, I love the whole church. They're wonderful. It doesn't really affect me on a daily basis. I have things to do. It's this active, connective, visceral thing. Well, I mean, I didn't punch him in the face. And he deserved it, quite frankly. Stop. This isn't just passively being nice. This is saying, no, I actively focus on loving myself because you are connected to myself. You are part of me. I am part of you. If I don't see it that way, I'm missing this. In Philippians, actually, if you'll allow me to just do a very literal translation of Philippians. Philippians 2, 4, Paul says, every one of you should not be focused on your own interests, but also on the interests of every other one. I want you to be actively focused on their interests. Not just, well, if I happen to notice. I want you to actively seek out their needs, actively seek out connection, 
not just, okay, well, I'll help them with the potluck or I'll help them, they you know, brought dinners to you because you just had a baby. That's great. That's great. But I want to build community. I want to build connection. I want to get to know you and where you're at in life. I want to be engaged with you. If not, I'm missing something. I can't do a drive-by church. I can't, I can't do that. I need to be engaged with people. I love how my favorite preacher of the favorite sermon ever written, the writer of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews said in, in Hebrews 3, encourage one another daily. Actively find a way to encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I want you to consciously, actively connect with one another in the body. You only have to do it on any day that you would refer to as today. If there's a why at the end of the day of the week, that would be a good day for this. Snarky. I'm aware he's snarky. He's aware he's snarky. As long as you would happen to refer to this day as today, this is a day to actively encourage. A couple of chapters later, in chapter 10, he says, let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love, toward good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You can't Nah, this. You have to engage. It has to be part of who you are. Let's not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Because somehow, somewhere along the line, in the body of Christ, and not even like, well, over the centuries, like Guy Fawkes Day, but in the first century, the writer of Hebrews is saying, somehow, instead of seeing yourself as being connected to other people as your flesh. They are part of who you are. Somehow, you've come to see them as a bunch of guys. They're just a bunch of guys. They might be guys that you like. Maybe you're closer to these guys over here and closer than you are to those guys over there. But they're just guys. I'd like to be around them, but if I can't, oh well. I like these. I don't like these as much. I happen to be sitting next to these guys, so I guess I'll interact with them. Somehow we, we can lose this sense that we are one body, one family, connected, interlocking, fitly joined together. That's what we are. I don't want people to show up for church from time to time when their schedule allows it shrug and go home. I, I don't want to do that. Because at that point, you're not a part of the body. You're a hat. Now, I need to back up. Because having said that, it, you could misunderstand my point, or maybe I can misspeak it. If so, I apologize for being rhetorically clumsy. I understand that there are people who are shut-ins and they can't be here. I understand that there are people watching us online that can't be here. I understand that there's sometimes you're like, I've got pneumonia i can't be here i'm not saying you have to be here every time the doors open i'm not saying any of that kind of stuff i'm not the attendance cops what i'm talking about is paradigm what is your perspective of the church it's not how many times you're here versus how many times you're absent are these a, a group of guys that you like hanging out with or are they part of your life's blood do you know them? Do you engage with them? Are they as real to you 
as any other part of your life and engage with you. And not just this congregation, because I don't want to get lost in that. How do you look at other denominations, other congregations in Peoria, other, other Christians around the world? Are they competitors? Are they, well, they're all just nuts because they're not us. Or do we see them as the same body? That one is just as part of the body as me. This one, uh, arguably, I think they broke a finger somewhere in there. But you, know, you can work with them. But they're, they're our broken finger. And we need to love them. If they've broken their finger, instead of me going, ah, broken finger charge, maybe I should go, ow! Shouldn't I hurt if they're broken? You ever gotten frustrated seeing all those broken churches out there? Instead of pained when you see broken churches? I'm as guilty of this as anyone. I'm as guilty as saying, oh, it's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. I should probably pray for the Persecuted Church. The other 360-some days of the year, perhaps I should as well. They were persecuted three weeks ago. Are they exotic Christians across the world? Why, they're strange. Their words are strange. And once a year, I think of them and say, must be rough. Or do I say, they are my brothers and sisters. They have been all year long, and I am connected to them. I am radically connected to them. I have koinonia with them. They are my body, because we are all Christ's body. What would you do to your perception as a finger if instead of thinking about yourself and your fingerness, you thought of the whole hand or the whole hand and arm? That would be our congregation, maybe. Or you think of how it fits with the torso. You, you think about the whole body. Every Christian. What, what, what would it do if not just on this Sunday or just on Sundays, but on any day that you might reasonably refer to as today, it dawns on you to say, wait, I am, I am connected to something so much bigger. I can't tell you how, how much it does to my heart when I go traveling. If I'm in Estes Park, for a, a denominational thing, if we're traveling in Scotland and we run into a Christian, and I'm like, it's not just, oh, cool. But I sit there and go, my sister. You are my sister. And I can see it. I can see it in your face as we're interacting. I'm like, you're a Christian, aren't you? She'll go, are you? I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor. And we'll pray together. We'll talk together. We'll say, isn't this awesome? But this is my sister that I've never met. And she is just as much my sister as Kim is. Powerful truth, and we forget it. Sometimes we just think that those guys over there are a bunch of guys. I don't ever want to do that. Dr. Luke tells us about the early church in Acts 2. He says, All the believers were together, and they had everything in common, and selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved because people knew that they were Christians by their love, right? If I can add that one to it. Again, the point is paradigm. They were together. They had everything in common. They had everything in koinonia. And when they met together on a daily basis, it wasn't because they were like, well, I haven't been there for a week. I probably should go. They wanted to. 
They wanted to be with one another. They wanted to share life. They didn't look at Brian and say, well, that's some guy that I see on Sundays. He's my brother. And I want to see him. I'm diminished when I don't. Do you think of it that way? I'm diminished. That's not your fault. It's not your fault. I don't want anybody to feel guilty about it. But it's, it's like Randy's not there. I'm diminished. It's not like oh, Randy has to be there so Kevin's not diminished. That's not what I'm getting at. But do I see it that way? Where I'm like, it matters that Randy's here. And it matters when he's not. Do you see it the other way? Do you see it as, oh, whether I'm there or not, whether I'm engaged or not, whether I interact with anybody, whether I get to know this person or not, it doesn't really matter. Other people will. Or do you realize they're diminished if you're not engaged? I'm not trying to make you guilty. I'm saying paradigm. Do you, do you think of it that way? If we are one body, if I can't use my left arm, I'm telling you, I feel diminished. My left arm is mangled, and it is a blessing from God, and I find it frustrating but it's a blessing because it keeps reminding me about people that have chronic pain that's so much worse than this, about the fact that I'm reminded that I'm like, oh, wait, I'm diminished that I don't have this working right. I'm diminished when I don't have relationships with people. I'm diminished. Now, if you're wondering why we're talking about this, because you might be saying, oh, Kevin, I thought we were in the middle of a sermon series on why should I be giving thanks? Now you're talking radically about the church. Oh, because it's International Day of Prayer of the Persecuted Church. We're taking a step away from the why I should be giving thanks. No! Because we're smack dab in the middle of a sermon series on why we should be giving thanks. Can I remind you of how Paul wrote some of his letters? You're familiar that Paul wrote a large bulk of the New Testament, right? A bunch of letters to churches and people, like to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. He said, grace and peace to you, the way he usually begins. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We always give thanks to God for you. I give thanks to God that he is good and his love endures forever. I give thanks to God for his righteousness. I give thanks to God that I share in the inheritance. But today I want to say I give thanks to God because I share it in the inheritance with you. I thank God for you. You go, okay, well, that's cool to the Thessalonians. To the Philippians, he said, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership, your koinonia in the gospel. I thank God for the church body part in Thessalonica. I praise God for the church body part in Philippi. Not, not just for the separate church over there, but the church body part that is the church in Philippi. We're all part of one body. Philippi, Thessalonica, Peoria, we're all part of one body. In fact, to the Ephesians, he goes so far as to say in Ephesians 1, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And if you remember, that, that letter went to all of Asia Minor. You want something to give thanks for? What should we give thanks for? You share in the inheritance of God with all of these people that you are personally, viscerally, intimately connected with. Don't ever give that a glancing blow. To the Corinthians, he says in 1 Corinthians, 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way. They're boneheads. The Corinthians are horrible at this. That's why their letters are so long. Is because he had so much to correct. When Paul thought of Corinth, he thought, you guys are doing everything wrong. How does he begin his letter to them? always thank God for you. I thank God for you. In 2 Timothy, he says, To Timothy, my dear son, I'm writing to an individual this time, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. I thank God as I constantly remember you in my prayers every night. Well, every day that ends with a Y. Every day that is today, I thank God. Are you seeing a pattern? I mean, there's a a couple of these. To the Colossians, he said, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, even those Corinthians over there. The faith and love that spring from hope, from that inheritance that is stored up for you in in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel, the good news that's come to you. We thank God for your love for the whole and complete body of Christ, that love, that koinonia that comes not not from them being lovable or you being particularly loving naturally, It comes from you guys over there in the Colossian church applying last week's sermon and living like you're giving thanks that we all share in the inheritance, right? To Philemon, who's arguably screwing some things up, he says, grace to you and peace from from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. And I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Which suggests if you're not active in sharing your faith, aren't we in danger of not having a full understanding of those blessings? Isn't that grammatically what he's saying? Or as the preacher preached a second ago in Hebrews, aren't we in danger of becoming hardened by sin's deceitfulness? If we are not engaged with our brothers and if we're not sharing our faith with those outside, can't that turn into something other than a healthy relationship with Christ, a healthy relationship with the church, a healthy embassy? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to make it about me as an individual. I don't want to do that. I want to make it about the body of Christ because that's ultimately about Christ himself. How many times does, does something have to be in the scriptures before you actually consider it important? You hear about this in Acts. Paul writes in Thessalonians, in Philippians, in Ephesians, in 1 Corinthians, in 2 Timothy, in Colossians, and Philemon. How many times is he saying, I thank God, I thank God for you. I always thank God for you. I always make sure I thank God for you. Every day I pray for you and I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I thank God for you. Do we? I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to thank God. And I do thank God for you. I want to do it every day though and I don't. I want to 
to remind myself that we're not the only church in Peoria. I want to remind myself that Peoria isn't the only place that has churches. I want to remind myself that we're part of something that's worth thanking God for. In 1 Peter 2, Peter says, you guys, you're, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God so that you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You were created, you were chosen so that you could share that faith. You can declare this. You're a family of priests together. Priests who stand between the, the world and God and point the world to God. You're not priests to one another. You're priests for them. You're priests next to engaged with one another. That's what you were chosen to do. Paul says in the, to the Colossian church in chapter 3 of Colossians, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, set apart, dearly loved. What should that mean within the body? He says, well, within the body... Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and put up withness and patience. Bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other. Because these people are not people you're worshiping next to. They're not just some guys that you see sometimes. You're part of the same body. Your cells mingle with their cells. If there's anything other than thanksgiving between you and them, work on that, guys. Work on that. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you fully, completely. Let it go to the degree to which you go. But I still remember when you've missed it. Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Because that's the paradigm here. Not just getting along with one another, but being intimately, consistently, genuinely connected to one another in unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. This is not the only letter he's used that phrase in. And he ends by saying, and be thankful as you engage with one another in the body of Christ. Give thanks for that. You don't happen to be sitting here. I believe in a very sovereign God. I don't know about yours. Mine's pretty good. And if he is sovereign, as I think he is, if he is omniscient, he knows everything like I think he does. If he's omnipotent, he can affect everything as I believe he can. Ain't none of us sitting in this room by chance. Even if you're only here for one day, or if you're only here for the last year, or you're only here for... You don't happen to be sitting by a bunch of guys. And you may not have even come for the reason you thought you came. God brought you here. And he says, today... Right now, you are part of the body of Christ, and this is the hand you've been dealt. So how do you engage? How do you engage, not just with us, not just with this church, but everyone, everyone who believes and is part of the body of Christ, everyone who ever was a Christian, everyone who ever will be a Christian, everyone who currently is a Christian, and not just the people who look like us or think like us or even agree with us. As long as... They love the Lord as long as they agree with his leading. They believe in the death and resurrection and the saving work of Jesus Christ as their Lord. If they disagree with you about fill in the blank, can you still see them as not just, not just another body part connected to you, but since this pinky is not just my pinky. If I point to this, it's me. 
this is me, this is me, this is me, this is me. Can you point to them and say, you may not look like me, you may not act like me, my foot doesn't act like my hand, but you're all just part of the same me, and luckily that me is Christ. That's who we all are part of. Can you give thanks for your flawed pastor, Timothy, like Paul did? Can you give thanks for your more flawed Philemon, who's obviously a bit off and needs some correction and guidance? Can you give thanks for the Thessalonians for their sincerely good work? Can you? Can you actively remember and equally give thanks for the Colossians because they lived out their inheritance? Can you equally give thanks for the Philippians and join in that koinonia for the gospel that they have, that radical connection? Can you equally give thanks for the Corinthians in your life that you go, you are so boneheaded. You're so wrong. Can you say, I give thanks because I'd rather have a mangled left arm than no left arm? It may take a paradigm shift, but can you give thanks, actively, consciously, consistently give thanks for the rest of the body of Christ on any day that could reasonably be called today? I guarantee, if you do, if it's not just a generic, I pray for those guys over there. No, no. I am genuinely thankful. I am genuinely thankful for Terry. I am genuinely thankful for Linda. I'm genuinely thankful for Cameron. I'm genuinely thankful for Peggy. I'm genuinely thankful. You are going to be hard-pressed to ignore or despise that person. Prioritize it. Prioritize them. Prioritize seeking one another out actively. Prioritize your family members more than you prioritize your apathy or your frustration with your family members. Don't give up connecting with one another and actively loving one another. As we read earlier in the scripture reading at the beginning of the service, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul said, we ought always to thank God for you brothers, and rightly so. We should do this. We need to do this. I want to give thanks for one another, beloved. Because we're all an equal, important, crucially important, engaged part of the body of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that I've never seen my appendix, but I understand it's there. It may not even do anything that I know of but I'd know if it screws it up. Thank you that it's there and not screwing it up. I thank you for my family members that I see and that are doing great. I thank you for my family members that are broken and mangled because they're still my family members and they're still connected. I thank you for the ones that I forget because I don't see them and I pray that you remind me. I pray, Lord, help us to love one another well. And as we come to a family meal together, I pray that you help us to be truly in communion with one another, community connected and in common, koinonia. Help us to love one another well as an act of worship of loving you. In Jesus' name, amen.